Welcome, welcome, welcome to Restore Online. My name is Troy McMahon, and I get the privilege to be the lead pastor here at Restore. And I'm grateful you decided to join us wherever you happen to be. Do me a favor, though. Just think about all the choices that you've already had to make today, right? Think about it, right? You had to make a choice about what time would I get up? And then you had to make a choice that when your alarm went off, would I hit the snooze button? Would I hit it once, twice, more? And then I had to make the choice of what would I wear today? And then what would I have for breakfast? And then you had to make the choice to watch this message online. And I want to say, hey, good decision uh, on you, my friend. And then you got to ask, what am I going to do for lunch or for dinner? What am I going to do later today or this evening? I mean, the list of choices goes on and on and on. Now, many of our choices, uh, they're rather mundane. Uh, they're even meaningless. Still, others of our choices can be important or even significant. And still, some of our choices, they're crucial. They can be life-altering. They can change the course and direction of our future and the future of others. So, how do we make sure that we choose wisely? Well, here we are, week three of our journey through the book of Esther in the Old Testament. And throughout this journey, we're looking at four key characters in the story. There's King Xerxes, there's Mordecai, there's Queen Esther, and there's Haman. Now, before we look at these characters, I want to kind of zoom out from the story. I want to take a look back in history, kind of to better understand the context that we have ourselves in as part of this story. So let's kind of uh, zoom back out and take a look at, a at the time of the kings. Now, that sounds a little bit like a Lord of the Rings reference, right? Well, the Jewish nation in the Old Testament, it had a number of kings. The first king being Saul, then there was David, and then Solomon. And after Solomon then, the Jewish nation, it would split into two. There was the northern kingdom, which was known as Israel, and there was the southern kingdom, known as Judah. Now these two kingdoms, they had a total of 39 kings. And these kings had to make lots of choices just like you and me. And when you read about the choices that these kings made, uh, you can read about them in the books of First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. Well, here's what you learn. You learn that only five kings made wise choices. The other 34, we read, did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Not a good description of leadership. You know, because of their choices, there were some significant consequences. As a matter of fact, God finally allowed the entire Jewish nation to be conquered by the Babylonians and King Nebuchadnezzar. And he would destroy the temple in Jerusalem. And as part of this, Nebuchadnezzar would take the best and the brightest men, women, and children back to Babylon into exile. And Babylon it would be modern-day Iraq. Well, eventually, after years and years, the Babylonian Empire would be overthrown by the Persian Empire and its King Cyrus, and many of the Jews in exile would be relocated to Susa and its provinces. That's modern-day Iran. So from Nebuchadnezzar to Cyrus to Darius and finally to Xerxes, he's the king with Esther, the Jewish people would live in exile and captivity. 
For nearly 120 years, or five to six generations, the Jewish people had been in captivity away from their home. Now, early in their captivity, God had spoken to those in exile through the prophet Jeremiah. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those who I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build your houses, settle down, plant gardens, and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number. There do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. You know, best estimates were that 50 to 100,000 Jewish people were in Persia at the time Esther became queen. Okay? Back to our story and our four key characters. The first character, as we talked about, is King Xerxes. And we discovered that he's kind of a drunken king and made really terrible decisions because he just surrounded himself with yes-men. And the king had kind of banished his initial queen. So to find a new one, he ordered virgins to be collected from all across the kingdom and taken to his bed kind of one at a time so he could eventually pick the one that he liked the most to become his wife and his queen. Pretty dehumanizing for the many young women. You see, once they had been with the king, they could never marry anyone else. And they'd have to live in his harem for the rest of their lives. Now, our second character was a Jewish man named Mordecai. Now, he was a wise man. He was a cousin of Esther. See, after Esther's parents had died, Mordecai adopted her as his own daughter. He lived wisely within Susa so much that he was chosen for a very specific role at the front gate of the palace. This was a position that he used to save the life of King Xerxes. Our third character was Esther. And she was young and beautiful, but she didn't allow her kind of what she carried to to allow her beauty to keep her from thinking that she was too good to ask for advice. She was kind of uh, rounded up along with many other young women to be taken to the king and live in in this harem for the rest of her life. However, even though she was in a situation completely outside of her control, she still used her wisdom from Mordecai and from one of the palace officials who eventually led the king to fall for Esther more than any of the girls, and she would become queen. Now, our fourth and final character is Haman. Now, Haman uh, was just recently given the highest position of all the nobles in the kingdom, just under the king. However, Haman had this deep, deep character flaw. You see, his pride was deep. And it was deadly. And and when Mordecai wouldn't bow down to Haman as he passed by, well, Haman was just enraged. And so he devised a plan to have not only Mordecai killed, but to make racism the policy of the kingdom and commit genocide against the Jewish people. And he had this new law approved by the king where every Jewish person would be put to death would be murdered on the 7th of March the following year. So we pick up our story, and and from this point on, I mean, the stakes just get higher and higher. 
And, and Queen Esther, she is given a choice which kind of feels like a lose-lose situation. So let's pick up our story in Esther, chapter 4. When Mordecai learned about all that had been done, he tore his clothes. He put on burlap and ashes. He went out of the city crying with a loud and bitter wail. He went as far as the gates of the palace because no one is allowed to enter the palace gate while wearing ashes of mourning. And as news of the king's decree kind of reached across the provinces, there was great mourning among the Jews. They fasted, they wept, they wailed. And many people lay in burlap and ashes. When Queen Esther's maids and eunuch had told her about Mordecai, she was deeply distressed. She sent clothing to him to replace his burlap, but he refused. Then Esther sent for Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed as her attendant. She ordered him to go to Mordecai and find out what was troubling him and why he was in mourning. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the square in front of the palace gate. You know, imagine, imagine discovering that you and your family and all those that you love and are closest to have been given a death sentence. You know, Queen Esther, she'd been insulated within the palace. She had no idea what was going on. And that was because Mordecai told her to keep her Jewish heritage a secret. Well, we read on. Mordecai told him the whole story, including the exact amount of money that Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai gave Hatak a copy of the decree issued in Susa that called for the death of all the Jews. He asked Hatak to take it to Esther and explain the situation to her, and also asked Hatak to, to direct her to go to the king to beg for mercy, to plead for her people. So Hatak returned to Esther with Mordecai's message. You know, Mordecai knew. He knew. The only hope, the only earthly hope for the Jews, for himself, and even for Esther, would be if she would plead to the king to stop this genocide from taking place. But there was a problem. Then Esther told Hatak to go back and reply this message to Mordecai. All the king's officials and even the people in the province know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. And the king has not called for me to come to him for 30 days. So Hatak gave Esther's message to Mordecai. You know, when we kind of read that text and we kind of think about it, it feels like a lot gets lost in translation. Uh, you can imagine uh, letters, uh, third parties, text. Because uh, as I read this, I don't think Esther is really trying to get out of doing the right thing. She's simply trying to help Mordecai understand exactly what he's asking of her. But perhaps there may be another way that didn't involve her going directly to this before this childish king who might just kill her just for simply speaking out of turn. How about this side note? Esther's queen, right? But her role at queen, it comes with zero official power. 
this role of queen, it's kind of a role of prestige and beauty. And the prestige of beauty is not so much for her, but it's actually for the king. And, and at this moment, it kind of reveals to us something about the king as well. You, you see, when we dove into the story a couple weeks ago, we learned that the King Xerxes was a lustful man. And he often slept with a, a different woman every night. So to think that he had gone 30 days without any sexual relations, well, would be very unlikely. Even though he found his queen, and even though he said to him, had said himself that he, he was attracted to Esther the most, well, the reality is his lust was still left unchecked, and he was likely back to sleeping with a different girl each night because he had a large harem. And just as we shouldn't see Esther's reply as an excuse, we shouldn't see Mordecai's reply as harsh words, but simply this honest assessment of the situation and clarifying, right, to Esther, the plan. Well, this is the plan. You are the plan. There's only one plan. We read on. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at the time as this, Deliverance and relief from the Jews, it, it will come. It will come from, from somewhere, right? Some other place. But you, me, us, we're going to die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this? For such a time as this. Those are some weighty words for Esther. Those are some weighty words for uh, us as well. Uh, let, let me just pause for a moment and remind ourselves of something fascinating <clears throat> about the book of Esther. God is never mentioned once, not his spirit, not him working in, not him working in the background, not God moving in people's hearts, nothing. There is only one other book in the entire Bible, right, that never mentions God. And I want to say 10 points to the person who figures it out. And you can put it in the comments section today or you can kind of post it on social media sometime this week. And then we'll tell you if you know. Because, see, sometimes in our most desperate moments, we may wonder, okay, where are you, God? But just because we don't hear directly from God or see his workings doesn't mean that he isn't completely active all throughout our lives. You see, even in this story where God is not mentioned, we see his providence working in Esther's life. We see it where there's a cousin who adopts her. We see it and an opportunity for her to become queen. We see it when we find she finds favor with a, 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 an official who dresses Esther for the night with the king. Well, we find it God working as in her role of being a, the queen, she has a relationship that gives the possibility. You see, God's invisible fingerprints are all over this story. And Mordecai quietly alludes to God's province in this passage when he says, who knows? Who knows? Perhaps you are exactly where you are as queen for such a time as this. 
Now, the reality is the weight of death is hovering all over this entire story. And Esther, she knows. She knows that the king has rules. That even though she is now queen, that she shouldn't break those rules because the king has laid out for her. See, after all, the last queen was banished. And depending upon the mental state the king would be in, I mean, her life could easily be at risk. But Mordecai, he responds with sobering words and a bold challenge for Esther that could cost her her life. You see, up to this point, Esther hasn't disobeyed any rules. But now she must choose if she will continue to go along with the king and kind of the societal rules uh, or, right, or will she speak up? Speak up for those who are in danger. Speak up for those who are marginalized. Risk her own safety and her own life for others. <clears throat> we continue and kind of conclude our reading for the day. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. <clears throat> My maids and I will do the same. And then I will go against the law. I will go and see the king. If I must die, I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Here we see that Esther, <clears throat> she decides for herself that the hard thing and the right thing are the same thing. And she makes this choice to put her life on the line, not just for herself, but for her people. But notice, as she makes this choice, she doesn't just charge into the king's palace right at that moment. No, she takes this important step of preparation. She decides that she would fast for the next three days. She has her maids join her in this fast. She asks Mordecai, the Jews in Susa, to join her as well. You see, Esther takes serious the spiritual preparation for the task at hand. I tell you, my friend, God is working even when you and I can't see it. God, sometimes he does the miraculous, right? I believe I read in the Bible that God did miraculous things, and I believe that God still does miraculous things today. But I also know that 90% of the time, or even more, God tends to work through people. I mean, God could have spoken to King Xerxes through, uh, King Xerxes through a dream because he'd done it before. He could do it again. But for whatever reason, in this particular instance, God seems as though his primary choice, his one choice is to work through someone, someone that he has intensely placed in the palace for this reason. And it's Esther. So I just wonder, what if, what if God has placed you where he's placed you for such a time as this? Maybe you're in high school and God has you there for a reason. Maybe it's at your workplace and God has you there for a reason, or it's in your particular family, or in your neighborhood, or in your apartment complex, or at your college, wherever you are. What if God has you there 
for such a time as this. So let me ask, what's the choice that you need to make? It's no accident. God's got you where he's got you for a reason, for a purpose, for such a time as this. How will you respond? What choice will you make? And like Esther, how will you prepare for that choice? Will you just charge in kind of like a, a bull in a china clock, a china shop, or with your guns ablazing, or will you pause? Will you take time? Will you seek wisdom of others and guidance from the Holy Spirit? Esther fasted for three days. You see, she had a rule of life that created space for her to listen to God, to ask for guidance, strength, and courage. Will you and I follow that example? Do you want to know what happens next in the story of Esther? I do too. So I just want to say, join us next week, because the next two Sundays, man, the tension in the story, it's going to reach like literally the boiling point, and you won't want to miss it. So if I can, <clears throat> just let me leave you with a challenge. Just one challenge today. One challenge and two steps. So my challenge is this, is I want you to ask yourself, what's the choice? What's the significant choice that you need to make Maybe today or in the new future. And so I, I want to encourage you to process through, to think about that choice. And then I want to challenge you with these two steps. I want to challenge you to fast. Fast about that decision. Create space. Give space for God to speak to you. And the second step I want you to do is I want to encourage you to find a Mordecai in your life if you don't. Someone that you can trust, someone that can offer you encouragement, and someone that can offer you accountability for that particular choice. Because maybe in this, you're going to discover, just like Esther did, that the hard thing and the right thing just might be the same thing. Let's pray. Father God, we just ask that you would help us to see you at work, even when it doesn't appear right before us. And that God, even in the midst of really, really difficult situations, we can recognize that we are in a place where you've put us for a purpose, not because the journey is easy, but because the choice is difficult. And just like Esther, you want to give her the boldness and the courage to take a step of faith that would impact her life and the lives of so many others. God, there's big decisions that we have. Big decisions that will change the course and direction of our life, but will also impact the lives of others. Help us to be a people who sit before you in fasting and listen and in prayer. But God also can sit there and, and hear wise counsel. Wise counsel of encouragement, wise counsel of challenge and accountability. And God, we know you love us just as we are, and nothing could ever change that. But you also leave us too much, love us too much to leave us there. So we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.